Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a 
weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Meaning just one person can alter the course of your entire life. On October 4th, 1993, a man died at the hands of a deadly couple who, had they not met, may have seen a very different outcome in their lives. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Linda Cheryl Lyon was born on February 8, 1948 in Orlando, Florida into a privileged life filled with money, status, and expectation. With a family line traced all the way back to greatness, Linda's grandparents owned the very popular Howard Johnson restaurant as well as various other money-making properties all around the country. Unfortunately, when Linda was just 10 years old, her father, with whom she was extremely close, died of heart failure leaving her with a mother who, deeply affected by her husband's death, became both physically and mentally abusive to Linda and her younger sister, forcing her to find reprieve in the only living thing that would not let her down, animals. Despite these major setbacks, Linda proved herself to be an exceptional student. Described as naturally intelligent, she began writing poems and even novels at the age of just 13 things her mother would call useless despite her success in school and would often destroy when fits of rage brought her into Linda's room. Nevertheless, Linda pushed on. She desperately wanted to become a journalist, and when she graduated high school in 1966, she found herself at Orlando Junior College. But unsatisfied that the curriculum didn't seem to fit her interest, Linda spent the next few years wandering through life picking up random jobs, a husband, and one selling all her possessions to live out of a yacht. Though something she never let go of was her love of animals. Serving as the secretary of the Humane Society and an animal abuse investigator while living in Key West, and to further her charitable contributions, served as the president of the Friends of the Library for two years and as the publicity director for a mayoral candidate. It seemed as though while her dreams of journalism had fallen by the wayside, Linda never stopped trying to make a difference in someone's life. Enter a man named George Sibley. George, born September 8, 1942, met recent divorcee and mother of one, Linda Block, at a libertarian meeting and found himself instantly smitten. George had a very different life from Linda— Where she was raised in a life of privilege, education, worldliness, and charity, George was considered an uneducated racist fundamentalist from rural Indiana. Working as a mechanic and drag racer, George was a man who harbored a deep hatred for the government and found himself as a part of a right-wing anti-government ideology called the Sovereign Citizen Movement, a group that does not recognize the authority of the federal government, harbors a deep hatred for law enforcement, claims their civil liberties make them above the law, and believes in the socialist anti-Christian New World Order takeover of America and that it is their God-given duty to own and carry firearms and fight against the government tyranny. Basically, 
George was the last person you would assume Linda Block would have fallen for. But soon she found herself glued to George's side and venting her frustrations along with the rest of the movement. To the couple, all of their financial and personal problems were the fault of the evil New World Order and believed that they, the sovereign citizens, were the only true patriots in this world and had to fight against the government oppression and stick to the outdated views of the founding fathers. Linda, finally becoming a journalist she always wanted to be, began writing an anti-government magazine called The Liberatus, while George spent over $20,000 of his inheritance on publishing it. Around this time, Linda decided to try some of her newfound tactics against her estranged husband, Carl Block, a man with whom she had originally a fairly amicable split. In the summer of 1992, Carl, who had been forced to live in an apartment after losing his house to Linda in their divorce proceedings, petitioned a judge to give him back his estate since the court had yet to settle their divorce. Linda was furious, so George decided that they would pay Carl a visit, subdued him, tied him to a chair, duct taped his mouth shut, and ordered him to drop the legal actions against Linda. When he refused... Linda pulled out a knife and stabbed him in the chest. After taping up his wound, the couple fled the house and Carl was later found by a neighbor who rushed him to the hospital. The pair were, of course, arrested and charged for the incident, and not wanting to incur her wrath a second time, Carl decided to drop the charges. The state, however, pressed the matter further, and in July of 1993, Linda and George were put on probation after pleading no contest to the charges against them. While awaiting their sentencing date, Linda and George, who, if you recall, have no regard for the government authority, decided to file documents in the court claiming that Judge James Hauser was a, quote, illegal alien and that they would not subject to his authority. This tactic was unsuccessful, so when their sentencing date arrived in September of 1993, the pair simply failed to show up and instead sent faxes over to the judge declaring that they would never, quote, live as slaves but would rather die as free Americans and barricaded themselves to prepare for any police confrontation. So, the police went over to their Orlando home to arrest both Linda Block and George Sibley for contempt of court, only to find that the house was deserted. Not only were the pair armed, dangerous, and on the run, but they had Linda and Carl's nine-year-old son, Gordon, with them. For about a month, the pair ran as fugitives from the law, with a kidnapped Gordon simply along for the ride. At around 2 p.m. on October 4, 1993, in the small rural city of Opelika, Alabama, 39-year-old police sergeant Roger Lamar Motley, who was at the end of his shift and running errands for the department, was sitting in his patrol car in the parking lot of a shopping center when a woman named Ramona Robertson came up to him asking for some help. According to Ramona, she'd been walking through the parking lot of a nearby Walmart when she noticed a Ford Mustang parked in the same lot. Casually passing by, she glanced inside and noticed that it looked as though someone had been living inside the car for quite a while, and just so happened to make eye contact with a young boy who was sitting in the back seat. When she did, he began mouthing the words, Help me. Worried and seeing a man sitting in the car with the boy, she looked around and noticed Roger Motley's patrol car, went over and explained the situation. Agreeing to take a look, Roger radioed into the station and drove over to the Mustang to call in the license plate. 
When he did, he realized that not only were they invalid, but instead were a reference to a section of the Uniform Commercial Code, which is often cited by the sovereign citizens as proof that they are exempt from federal law. As he parked behind the Mustang, the man inside, George Sibley, took note and exited the car and walked over to Officer Motley. Having no idea that he was in the presence of fugitives, Roger Motley asked George for his license. George claimed he didn't have one, as he had, quote, no contracts with the state, and instead handed over some sovereign citizen documents that explained why he didn't need an ID. With that, Officer Motley asked George to step away from the car. When he refused, Motley asked, do you have a problem with that? And George answered, I do, and continued his rehearsed diatribe. Officer Motley then made the fatal decision to rest his hand on the butt of his holstered weapon. And with that, George finally snapped, reaching into his pants and pulling out a Russian-made handgun and aiming it at the officer. As Roger Motley attempted to flee back to his car, George chased after him and began firing shots towards the officer, hitting him in the left arm before he was able to draw his own weapon. He then fired three shots back at George Sibley, gracing him once before George returned fire, pinned Roger down behind his car. Innocent bystanders started to panic by this point, and Linda Block, who had gone to a payphone before the whole ordeal began, dropped the phone, pulled out her own 9mm handgun from her purse, and made a beeline for the officer, shooting him in the back and, when he turned around stunned, in the chest. Roger Motley pulled himself into his patrol car, and fearing he was about to retrieve a shotgun, Linda shot four more rounds from her pistol through the car's windshield and hit him several more times as he tried to drive away. As Roger Motley sent out a final message on his police radio, he slumped in the driver's seat and took some of his last breaths as the couple sped out of the parking lot. The 18-year veteran died in the hospital, leaving behind his wife and four young children. Despite fleeing before backup could arrive, George was unfamiliar with the rural roads of Opelika and, after a few wrong turns, was spotted by a patrolling police car who radioed for assistance and continued to follow the killers. Within minutes, the fugitives were leading dozens of police cars in a high-speed chase across the highway before coming upon a police roadblock in Auburn, Alabama. The couple pulled their car over, loaded up their weapons, and prepared for a Bonnie and Clyde-style showdown with police. However, in a last moment of clarity, Linda decided she didn't want Gordon to get caught in the crossfire. So she kissed him goodbye, told him to be a good boy, and let him walk towards the armed police, who then took him into protective custody. Within minutes, SWAT arrived and told the couple that if they didn't surrender in five minutes, tear gas would be fired at them. They remained in their car until the last moment before, finally, after a four-hour standoff, the pair emerged from the car with their hands in the air. They were immediately arrested. When police searched their car, they found an arsenal of weapons and well over a thousand rounds of ammunition. When news of the murder made its way to the public, the world was shocked that two seemingly harmless all-American citizens could become cold-blooded killers— and were even more shocked when they found out the life that Linda was raised in. No one could figure out how someone with such high social standings could commit such a bold and heinous crime. When brought to court the very next day to enter their pleas, both Linda Block and George Sibley pled not guilty to the charges against them. 
Though they did take full responsibility for the murder, they claimed they did so in self-defense to avoid, quote, unlawful arrest. On May 19, 1994, George Sibley was found guilty of capital murder. At his sentencing, he claimed that it was Linda who fired the fatal shot and not him. And though everyone seemed to agree, the jury found him no less guilty and sentenced him to death for the murder of Officer Roger Motley. When it came to Linda's trial, she insisted that her attorneys try her sovereign citizen defense in court, refusing to express remorse and calling Roger Motley a bad cop. She would eventually fire all of her attorneys and represent herself in court, claiming incorrectly that Alabama had never been readmitted into the United States after the Civil War, and therefore, the court did not have the authority to try her. On December 1st, 1994, after a bizarre four-day trial, Linda Block was found guilty and later was sentenced to death, becoming only the third woman to join Alabama's death row. After dropping all of her appeals, Linda waited her execution date. It came on May 10th, 2002 at approximately midnight. She was pronounced dead at 12.10 a.m. and was the last person to be electrocuted in Alabama and the first woman to be executed in the state since 1957. George Sibley was executed on August 4th, 2005 by lethal injection. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on October 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.